listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Hello, welcome. This week we have with us a new guest, Dr. Barry Prezant. You might have heard of him because he's been in the media and around. He has worked very closely with Dr. Stanley Greenspan in the 90s. He's been on a very parallel path. Um, he is the founder and with his colleagues of the CERTS model, which you may have heard of, S-C-E-R-T-S. He has a great new book out, Uniquely Human, which is a bestseller. It's the winner of the Dr. Temple Grandin Award by the Autism Society of America for Outstanding Literary Work in Autism and has been embraced by a wide audience, including self-advocates, parents, and therapists of all disciplines. He is the Director of Childhood Communication Services, a private practice in Cranston, Rhode Island. He's on the faculty at Brown University and has published more than 120 articles and chapters on autism, childhood communication disorders, and child development. He's given more than 700 seminars and workshops in 49 states and 20 countries. Welcome, Dr. Prezant. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, I've heard about you and your work for years and being involved with ICDL, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, where I'm the parent advocate. Um, of course, you'll be speaking at the ICDL conference as the, um, what do you call that, the headline uh, speaker. So, um, yes. yeah, it, it's great to finally speak to you. Um, and I'm so excited to hear all about the new book for sure. Uh, but at first, I thought I would just say thank you for all the work you do for kids like mine and families like mine. Um, really appreciate that. And uh, tell us a little bit about this evidence-based model that you and your colleagues have developed over the years called CERTS. And I know that S-C-E-R-T-S stands for, uh, it's an acronym. So do you want to tell us a bit about that and also how how DIR, the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, um, is parallel to it and your relationship with Dr. Stanley Greenspan, and, uh, and then we'll get into your book. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, the CIRCS model, um, it is an acronym, and it stands for Social Communication, Emotional Regulation, and what we refer to as transactional support. Uh, one very important point that I need to uh, make very early on about the CERTS model, um, and in a way it's one of the ways that it is similar to the DIR model, is that it was developed by um, a team of professionals from a variety of disciplines, uh, including psychology, speech language pathology, occupational therapy, and uh, we also have a very strong family-centered influence. Um, and the reason we focus on those three domains, social communication, emotional regulation, and transactional support, is we believe that these are the areas that must be addressed in a comprehensive manner in any program for young children, school-age individuals, or even autistic adults. Um, and we believe that the research and current, past, and emerging research supports the fact that social communication and progress in social communication is one of the best predictors of more positive outcomes, one of the best predictors of the development 
of trusting relationships. And of course, that's one of the areas that Stanley, um, that Dr. Greenspan emphasized very early on in his work, the relationship basis. And we consider certs to be a relationship-based model, as is DIR. Um, the second domain, emotional regulation, uh, as we like to say, has to do with supporting a person's ability to be most available for learning and most of available for engaging with others. Um, so that leads us to look at what are the challenges for people and children on the spectrum. Um, we know very well the sensory challenges, um, and that's addressed both in the DIR model as well as in the CERTS model. Um, but there are so many other challenges in terms of uncertainty and unpredictability and the anxiety that causes for people on the spectrum. So we don't have time to get into all of the challenges to maintaining a well-regulated um, but that is a huge part of the CERTS model. And then finally, the TS of CERTS is transactional support. And this has to do with all of the ways that we support autistic individuals, whether they be children, school age, or adults. Um, and it has to do with how we, we support, how we support individuals on an interpersonal level. For example, do we adjust language? Do we read a person's signals of anxiety? of what we call emotional dysregulation, and can we provide appropriate support for that? Um, we also talk in transactional support about support to families. Um, and in the CERTS manuals, and there, and there are two very comprehensive manuals, almost 800 pages of information, um, we give many, many strategies that professionals can use to be family-centered and to support families. Just one example of that, it's on my mind because it's coming up in a few weeks. Um, a family retreat, um, actually not a family retreat, it's a parent retreat for 23 years where we meet with 60 parents in a beautiful setting so they could network with each other and learn from each other. So that's one kind of um, family support and parent support activity. Uh, and we also talk about learning support, such as visual supports um, and how visual supports are helpful to so many people on the spectrum. So just to kind of reiterate, the CERTS model was developed by a team, a team from a variety of disciplines, where we really see it as essential as addressing goals and objectives and the right supports for social communication and emotional regulation, that's the SC and the ER of CERTS, and then TS, making sure we have a comprehensive approach to support parents and families and even for professionals to support each other so we can be more effective. So it really is a very multidisciplinary approach and it's, it is very family and client centered. And as you said, relationship based uh, also um, working. I assume you're working developmentally as well. It's a developmental approach. Absolutely. Um, so yep. it, it sounds so much like DIR floor time to me. I'm wondering what are the differences between the two models? I think some of the differences um, have to do with and come out of, um, for example, the fact that Dr. Greenspan was a child psychiatrist. Um, our approach and myself and my colleagues um, develop most of our work in school settings in educational settings. So, I see the DIR model, even though I'm aware that there are schools based upon the DIR model, I think the DIR model, especially as Stanley initially developed, it was more of a clinical model um, where you had different disciplines working 
uh, in parallel, if you will. One of the things, because with so much of an educational model and, um, you know, maybe some DIR people might disagree with what I'm saying, but we are so embedded in a team approach. Um, and I mean, literally on the ground, a team approach. So we say, for example, that it's not the speech pathologist who owns the language and the social communication goals. Everybody owns those goals. It's not just a child psychiatrist or psychologist who owns goals in emotional regulation and sensory issues. It's everybody um, who owns those goals. Um, there are far more similarities than there are differences. Uh, but I believe that we initially developed CERTs and it has since expanded beyond that as a school-based, educational-based team model, even though now it is being used in home-based early intervention, as well as in adult services. Okay, so, um, and I think the DIR model is also very team-based and, and everybody shares the same goals as well, but what I hear you saying is that it came from that more of a clinical background and yours is coming from more of an educational um, and of course you're a speech language pathologist so thinking yeah. of the communication um, as as the target group those who have struggles with that communication um, and then maybe the play project which is more of that specific early intervention at home but really the three are are so complementary to each other and really have the same the same goals in mind with just a, a little bit of different flavor, would you say? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and just to emphasize that point, we say, and we always begin our introductory trainings with a big slide, and it says the CERTS model is not exclusive of other approaches or strategies that may come from other labeled models. And I would say that's especially true with floor time, that in reaching social communication goals um, in the CERTS model, we may use floor time strategies. So in one way, we just put it right out there. CERTS versus floor time. It's not CERTS versus ABA, even though it's very inconsistent with some forms of ABA. Um, where there are emphasis on the use of visual supports uh, is very similar in some ways to strategies used in the teach model. Um, so we see ourselves as a framework, not as a model with rigid boundaries. And we never, ever say it certs versus this or versus that. We see it as a framework where we could pull together strategies with approaches that share similar values. And that certainly is the case with DIR. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm wondering then what are if any, are there similarities or how does it work um, in tandem with any ABA, certain ABA approaches? Because I, yeah. I imagine you must be in a lot of school districts where people are using ABA and the staff are trained in ABA. How does that work together with CERTs? Yeah. Uh, let me, let me um, answer that question by giving you an example of, of a question I often get. And that's that question. When people say to me, oh, can you compare certs to ABA? My response to that is, what do you mean by ABA? Right. Okay. There are about six to eight different named approaches under ABA. Some of them have infused a bit more of a developmental perspective and a child-centered perspective. I'm not saying 
they've become developmental models or child-centered models, but they've shifted. So let me give, let me be very specific. Um, Bob and Lynn Cagle have developed pivotal response training, PRT. They place a great emphasis on social communication. No surprise because Lynn Cagle is a speech and language pathologist. Um, And so there are some similarities and I've actually spoken to the Cagles and they've said to me, well, you know, our model is closer to certs than it is to other ABA models because they talk about following the child's lead. They talk about using a child's motivations as a way to connect with that child. So for example, um, what is done in pivotal response training is very distinct from discrete trial training, which is based on the old LOVAS model, where a teacher's in total control. Um, and I know Stanley many years ago um, spoke about how to floor time discrete trial training. <laughs> And what he meant by that was, how can we make it more reciprocal? How can we be more responsive to other children? So getting back to my original point, some of the aspects that certs, you might see a little bit of overlap with some ABA approaches are those ABA approaches that have really borrowed and have moved in the the direction of working on reciprocity, focusing on relationships and social communication. Now, you might say, but wait a second, isn't that just the same? Well, let me, excuse me, let me share with you something that Julia Bascom shared with me over lunch a couple of years ago. Julia is the president of the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, probably the most progressive group um, who are autistic advocating for the rights of autistic people. And what Julia said to me is, Barry, even in the most contemporary forms of ABA, it is still neurotypicals deciding how we should behave and what progress is. It is not informed by people on the spectrum. Um, Whereas the CERTS model, and I know the DIR model, are both informed by what people on the spectrum say to us. And another similarity is um, people on the spectrum, including ASAN, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, have endorsed both certs and floor time as respectful models because we incorporate the perspective of autistic people. Right, right. And that, uh, I see that everywhere too, that it, the self-advocates uh, rarely, if ever, um, want anything to do with ABA. They, they really see it so negatively. But um, I did do a podcast a few months ago with Dr. Joshua Fader, who... Uh Um, we talked about this move from a lot of the behavioral based and ABA people moving more towards that developmental relationship based approach. And that's, that's a lot of what you talked about too. So I will refer listeners to check that out if they're interested. And Um, I agree agree with that 100%. Now, number of years ago, I was saying to so many people, we're moving in the right, right direction. As I saw people embrace certs, embrace DIR, but the movement has been so much slower than many of us wished, partially because so many ABA practitioners have legislated requirements by giving out false information, like saying ABA is the only evidence-based approach, which is not true. Mm -hmm. By saying it is the only approach where we've ever seen children move off the spectrum, not in the sense of curing, 
but in the sense of no longer meeting criteria for ASD. And that is not true. So, you know, I'll just be quite upfront. I believe that not all, but some leaders within ABA have engaged in unethical practices by giving out false information or by misinterpreting research and what has been said out of comprehensive reviews of research on treatment and autism. Absolutely. And um, I think my bigger problem um, with it is the way that children will be ignored if they're distressed. And certainly that's not every program, but let me tell you the number of parents that I've talked to that have said they couldn't stand watching their kids scream and cry while the ABA therapist was encouraging them to ignore that. Um, Absolutely. And, and just my experience with ABA was so brief. We, we did less than a week and it was sitting my child at a table with a seatbelt on and showing him flashcards. Well, his vestibular system, he, it, he cannot sit for the life of him. And he had absolutely no interest in looking at flashcards. And so what if he can name a flashcard? I'd rather him be playing and see the actual object and have it more generalized. So, um, I mean, that to me is, is a bigger problem. Well, I don't know if it's a bigger problem because if, if they're legislating and, and getting that false information out, maybe that is a bigger problem because now we have parents, for example, in Ontario, Canada, where I live, that don't even know about anything other than ABA. So that is a problem. Um, it's good to get the word out about these other types of approaches because it takes parents from that first diagnosis to learn about the options that are out there. It could take a number of years because you really don't understand it all and you're learning and you're getting to know your child and you're getting to be familiar with all of the professionals. And, and it's, such, um, it's such a daunting world to enter into as a parent. Absolutely. So, so let's get into your book because – this is amazing that it's so popular and has won this award and has been embraced by so many um, parents, self-advocates, therapists of all the different disciplines. Tell us about your new book and what is the message behind it and, and uniquely human. Yes. Uh, well, let me, let me talk a little bit about how um, the book came to be. Um, most of my publications, um, including a few books, including edited books, many articles and chapters for my whole career had been published in quote unquote, peer reviewed journals, scholarly volumes. Um, yet I realized that most of what I was learning over the years, and this is actually, if you include summer camps that I worked in as a teenager, this is my 50th year in the field. Um, and most of what I learned were coming from autistic individuals, autistic children, as well as from families and parents. So I decided to write a book about stories of everything that I've learned over the years, also infusing some of our research um, and other research to support some of what I learned from the stories and the people on the spectrum. Um, so it's a storybook. Um, and there are, oh goodness, I never even counted up, but there are 40, 50, 60 children and people on the spectrum infused in the book. Um, I was actually encouraged by my wife to write this book because she would always hear the stories and she's a psychologist, but she doesn't focus on autism. And she said, I learned so much about autism from your stories. Um, and so that's what it's about. In other words, it's a mainstream book. 
and I was fortunate enough um, to have Simon and Schuster be interested in it. So a major trade mainstream publisher um, took it under their wing and moved it forward. And uh, it talks about, first of all, all of the myths that we've heard about autism over the years and how my experiences, at least for me personally, shattered those myths in my mind. Um, and, you know, let me go way back. Uh, I published a two-part article in 1981 or in 1982. It was called Speech Language Pathologists and Autistic Children, What is Our Role? Because SLPs, for the most part, were not working from back then because most people saw um, autism as a behavior disorder, okay? I criticized Lovas directly back then. I criticized discrete trial work directly back then. And I give examples in the book of how either those practices are still occurring or residuals of those practices are still happening. Um, and I really emphasize, and you touched upon this point, Dario, a few minutes ago, how often practices within traditional ABA go against the intuitions of parents. Mm -hmm. So what you had mentioned was, okay, a child is distressed and really upset, and you're not even supposed to pay attention because this notion that, oh, you're just reinforcing bad behavior. Um, and that is central to our emotional regulation domain in the CERTS model, how we address problem behavior. And it totally ignores all, I mean, voluminous literature on child development, including a lot of Stanley's research about how important it is to be responsive, how important it is to be empathic, how important it is to try to understand the child's experience and perspective to build that trusting relationship with that child. So I have a whole chapter on developing trust with children and individuals with autism. Um, I have a whole chapter um, about a number of self-advocates who've become very dear friends of mine. Michael John Carley, Stephen Shore, Roz Blackburn, people who I've learned from and actually presented workshops with over the last number of years. So the book really is a first-person perspective. It's kind of like, okay, you're going to learn more about Barry than you ever wanted to know, but through the eyes of me and my career and what we have come up with. Um, and as, as you mentioned, I've been so surprised that it has been embraced by such a wide variety of individuals. As a matter of fact, just today I got a request um, to write an endorsement for a book that will include 12 chapters by autistic adults um, who are sharing with parents what they've learned has been helpful to them. Um, and I, I say that quite a bit in my book. And she said, oh, you know, writing this book or editing this book I put a lot of what you say in Uniquely Human in this book. Um, and that is, we must understand the experience of autistic adults now that we have thousands of autistic adults sharing their experiences, um, talking about things such as post-traumatic stress due to very, very traumatic experiences and what's supposed to be therapy for them. Mm -hmm. um, so the book uh, really is a storybook about my history, about all I've learned. There are, as some parents have said to me, you know, in one of your chapters, I cried and cried and cried because I could so relate to what you were talking about. 
And in other chapters, they said, I never laughed so hard from some of the stories that you hear. Um, so it's an easy read. Um, as a matter of fact, some of the reviews say, pick up this book, you'll read it in a day. <laughs> uh, it's not technical at all, and intentionally so, not technical. Oh, it's so important to get this kind of information out to, to the public and to people because it's, it's very, very... It's a very touchy subject for, certainly for self-advocates, and understandably so. If you've yeah. been through some of the stuff that they've been through, of course you're not going to have any kind of patience for, for people saying some of the awful things that they say. And then certainly for parents that embrace the relationship-based approach and developmental approach, and we understand our children, and we're advocates for our children, and we don't like it when people look at our kids like what's wrong with them and have that thought like that it's wrong as opposed to different. Um, and, and so I find that I don't get as offended by things like that because I think that people only know what they know. And a book like this really helps to educate. And if you can educate and people then see and they get to know my son and they're like, Oh, okay. He's doing this because Blah, 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 blah. It's not him behaving bad. It's, you know, his system is on overdrive. He needs to move. He needs to do this or, you know, whatever it is that the individual differences that um, the why behind why he might pick up something and whip it across the room, which you might not want him to do, especially if you're in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. um, but things like that, um, I, I find that it's just a matter of education. And of course, even with education, there are always going to be jerks out there who are rude. But all you can do is, is provide this kind of education and, and get the word out so that more people understand that, you know what, these people Autistic people have been part of our society forever. Absolutely. And it's just now that we're starting to learn more about it. And let's embrace the differences. Let's look at the advantages of a neurodiverse society. And so I think your book does a great job of doing that because it is so um, readable and, and the stories are what people remember. I think they, you yes. know, if you try and read through technical book on the functional emotional developmental capacities and what a child goes through between zero and 18 months and then between blah 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 you know it's almost like you have to memorize it but when you hear stories about right. fun things that a child does and oh then you realize oh, okay that you know that is at this developmental age or this developmental level um and and that makes it much more relatable so i i love that um this is gaining so much popularity and we can only hope that it continues. Yeah. And, and uh, getting back to the title of the book, uniquely human, I, I give many examples of how what has been labeled as autistic behavior can be easily understood as human behavior and is not so different than how we might react under extreme situations. But the difference is the neurology of an autistic person makes them extremely sensitive um, and therefore creates results in a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, fight and flight reactions. Um, you know, some people say uh, the neurology of autistic people makes them be kind of like the canary in the coal mine, that our society has become so loud, so fast paced, things that we're still learning about, about chemicals and foods, 
And that on many levels, autistic people are so highly sensitive that we have to understand their reactions are human reactions in a being that is much, much more sensitive to those stressors. Um, I always like to say that, you know, we, all of us who are so-called neurotypical, are sensitive and easily dysregulated by the same things as autistic people. The difference is that we have better coping strategies. We can anticipate some of those difficulties. We have more protective strategies. Um, And therefore, in the CERTS curriculum, and I give lots of examples of this in Uniquely Human, we teach and we offer suggestions, depending upon the age of the autistic person, ways that they can deal with those stressors in their lives. Um, But yeah, it's Uniquely Human really means that let's throw out this whole notion of pathologizing the behavior of autistic people, of autistic children, and let's look at them through the eyes of being human, but a human being whose neurology makes them more sensitive and gives them more challenges than so-called neurotypical people. Certainly. And that, you know, that's always going to be hard for, for a lot of people to understand until it affects them. And so I think um, the story, the story helps with that. Yeah. If I can interject one more comment, especially in terms of when you talk about ABA versus DIR and certs, even in ABA in many approaches, even a child or a person's strengths and motivations have been pathologized. So that's obsessive behavior. We have to stop it. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got to, you know, he just gets so hooked on playing that game or talking about that subject that, you know, we have to ignore it. Whereas both in DIR and the certs model, and with lots of examples in my book, Uniquely Human, um, and Uniquely Human, we talk about those as enthusiasms and how can we take advantage of a person's or a youngster's enthusiasms, everything from building, you know, leisure time activities to possible vocational activities. Um, At the same time, acknowledging that sometimes a high degree activity or subject can get in the way. So, and one thing that, uh, one comment that I get about the book Uniquely Human is that I don't sugarcoat autism, is that, I show respect for the full range of what has been discussed as the experience of autistic people, including the challenges, as well as the great strengths and motivations that are too often pathologized and too often overlooked. Yeah, it's, um, it's hard to imagine um, because I, I mean, the way I think about it as, Think of a teenager that would have been obsessed with Led Zeppelin and listened to the album over and over and over and over again. For some reason, that's okay. Right. But then my kid who loves model trains and everything is model trains, model trains, you know, I have people say to me, oh, don't you want to do something different with him? (laughs) And it's like, well, you know, uh, it, I mean, this, this could apply to anything, but um, yeah, I mean, with model trains, it's, it's not one thing you could do an infinite number of things and learning around model trains. I mean, there's the mathematics, there's the physics, there's the different, um, certainly can remember all the different types of trains and everything like that, but there's modeling, there's uh, art, there's, you know, engineering, there's, you know, you could, any, any intense interest that a child has, uh, you can definitely work from that. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, Daria, you know what drives me, excuse the vernacular, freaking crazy sometimes <laughs> is this information has been out there. It's not new. So um, in my presentations, my live presentations and in Uniquely Human, I talk about an article about a young man named Stanford James, who was raised by a single mother in poverty in Southside Chicago, and he loved trains. And year after year, the mother was told, you need to put Thomas the Tank Engine away. You, you, you know, we have to ignore when he talks about trains. And she had enough sense of herself as a mother, she refused that all those years, only for her son to get a job in the Chicago Transit Authority routing office as a young adult and being a valued employee. And this was a cover story in the Chicago 19 years ago. Um, and there are examples of parents taking the bull by the horns and saying, I know my child better than anybody else. And you're not going to tell me to take away something that he could learn from that he loves. But I realized, this is the mom saying, I realized I needed to be creative in how to use those interests and not just let them be stale and limited. And I think that's really where these models are helpful to families because, you know, as a parent, sometimes you are overwhelmed and, and if you're not autistic yourself, you don't really understand how to connect with your child and having um, a coaching network of support and, and using whether it's DIR or certs or play project really helps you at, get that connection going with your child and helps to spark that creativity. It's a lot of trial and error, but I think a lot of parents are scared and don't really understand how to go there. And, and once they're, once they're eased into that and they understand it, they are essentially rewarded by the connection they get with their child. And then their creativity starts to happen. Absolutely. And, and you know, what happens is at least in my experience is we're giving permission to parents to love and appreciate their child, especially given the challenges that their child might be facing, as opposed to judging and trying to fix their child, which interferes with the development of a trusting relationship. Not one human being wants to be around another person who is always judging their behavior as desirable or undesirable and trying to fix their behavior most of the time. I mean, I have seen so many anxious kids whose parents went down the ABA path because they knew nothing else. And then eventually the parents discovered this is just not working for me or for my child, especially with very traditional ABA. Absolutely. And, you know, when you think about people being pregnant and talking to others and then you have a child and you say, oh, the child's autistic, still to this day, most people will go, oh. Oh, I'm so sorry, as if it's a terrible thing. And we need to start to change that to understand when you get pregnant, guess what? There could be a number of outcomes and you need to be ready to embrace whatever child you are blessed with. <laughs> Absolutely. And Absolutely. support and support them because, uh, yeah, they may not be like you and they may have challenges that are different than yours. And so yeah. that, I think it, it is, um, yeah, parents play a huge role. Yeah, so let me share with you one kind of reaction that I've gotten to Uniquely Human. Again, I mean, the reactions from the self-advocates, from the educators, therapists has been great. Uh, 
Another kind of reaction that I've gotten is from parents of adult children who read Uniquely Human and they send me notes and letters. Thank you for writing this book. Even though my quote unquote child is now an adult, you have validated so much of what we for my daughter or for my son. You just cut out for a little bit there. Uh, thank you so much. You have validated and then you cut out. Yeah, thanks so much. You have validated so much of what we chose to do over the years with my son or daughter. <clears throat> and then they usually go on to say he or she is doing really well now, is a happy person. But the, the parents read in my book things they actually have done or values that they connected with in raising their son or daughter. And some of them say, oh, for so long we were told you're doing the wrong thing. This isn't working. Um, you know, you're damaging your child. And yet the parents chose to follow their own intuitions. And the book kind of validates what they did. That's wonderful. Yes, um, and I, I can't remember what part we were talking about. My um, memory triggered to that scene in, well, there's a few scenes in, what's a movie called? Some, there's something about Mary with Cameron Diaz. Do you yeah. remember her brother was autistic and wore headphones Yes. And you can see that that demonstrated, um, you know, that whole aspect of relationship and trust, because when anyone came up to him, he freaked out. But when the Ben Stiller character came up to him, he was able to walk up, lift up the headphones and say, hey, buddy, blah, 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 whatever, and then put it back because they had a trusting relationship from growing up together. Um, that just popped into my head when you said something about that earlier. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it's so true. And, and Oh, I know what it was. That you said this information has been around for years. And I'm thinking, yeah, that movie, I don't remember how old it is, but it's got to be 20, 25, 30 years old. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. And, and um, both in Uniquely Human and in my live presentations, I talk about Clara Claiborne Park. Now, I don't know if you know of Clara and her work, but she was the first mother, first parent to ever write a book about raising an autistic child. It was called The Siege. It came out in 1967. And the term that I borrow um, and I use is enthusiasms. That comes from Clara's work. And her daughter, Clara, passed away about 10 years ago um, at, in her 80s. And her daughter, um, Jessie, is in her 50s, and she is a well-known artist who needs support to live, but who leads a happy life in a community that respects her. So... Clara Park and her husband, David Park, were some of the innovators in talking in the 80s about you must understand your son or daughter's enthusiasms and build upon them. Um, and it's, that is relationship-based. Again, we could relate to that easily. If somebody really validates what we're interested in, um, we seek out people, you know, even in a party when we're meeting new people we've never met before, we're going to find somebody who likes to ski like we do or who likes to collect modern art if you collect modern art. Those are people we develop relationships with. Um, and unfortunately, in some approaches in autism, it's all about you will learn and you will attend to what I choose for you to learn, what I choose for you to attend to. And I'm going to train compliance, which is one of our craziest you know, things in, in terms of some ABA approaches. How can you work for years on training compliance and then when the person becomes a teenager, okay, now we work on self-determination. Yeah. <laughs> it's hypothetical. 
It's antithetical. And there are so many things like that in traditional ABA approaches where what you say you're working on actually is inconsistent with a long-term goal for that person. And that's what Dr. Tippy said, how at the Rebecca school, they'd, they'd have kids that come with 10 years of ABA training and they've never once been given the idea that they can have a thought of their own. And well, he- they're in stress mode for the first few weeks of the Rebecca school because they're, they're trying to find out what, what is in your head? What are you thinking? What do you want? And they don't know what to do. And it's, it's, it's a hard transition. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've seen extreme circumstances where a student was so regimented and everything was so overly predictable and controlled by the adult that even offering a choice was emotionally dysregulating to that person. Even simple choices. You know, would you like to take a break now or would you like to continue to work on math? Uh, and it's so sad when you see that. It, it, it's, I mean, predictability is something we all need in our lives. But when you take it to the level of external control of so much of what's happening in your life, then you're talking about a person who could no longer tolerate any degree of flexibility in their lives. That's right. Um, And I think in the essence of time, we'll have to leave it there, but I will encourage listeners to check out Uniquely Human, A Different Way of Seeing Autism by Dr. Barry Prasad. And um, if you are so interested, you're a professional, you want to attend the ICDL conference in San Francisco in, uh, is it in early November or late October? It is um, actually, it's October 6th, I believe I'm speaking, October 5th or 6th. There you go, uh, icdl.com for information about that conference. And certainly check out the website, B-A-R-R-Y, Barry Prezant, P-R-I-Z-A-N-T.com for all the information of what we've been talking about. And I will write up a blog post to accompany this podcast at affectautism.com. You can do a search on Uniquely Human or Barry Prezant. Prezant. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to share all of this wonderful information with us. Great, Daria. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.